Begin reading with me in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, please. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward for those things which are ahead. I press for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. Nevertheless, to the degree we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. In this reading, we further see Paul's all-consuming passion. We have seen so far in this great book that Paul, writing to these people with whom he has this deep relationship, over a short period of time, actually, he will tell them that that which God has begun, God will complete, and that all things that he is going through will happen for the furtherance of the gospel. What an attitude that he has with regard to his imprisonment and the effect that's having on others. We've seen the importance of selflessness throughout. We've seen how he's emphasized our relationship with one another. And we've seen how when it comes to the flesh and things of the flesh, or as Paul sought to be blameless by the law, he said that is an empty pursuit. I have no confidence in that whatsoever. And so when he comes now to verse 7, he says, What things were gained to me, these I also counted for loss. The first thing I want us to see and ask is, Paul, do you miss those days? Do you miss those days when you were a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee concerning the law, on the fast track toward the Sanhedrin, and not just the Sanhedrin, but to be head of the Sanhedrin. Paul, do you miss those days? And I can't help but hear the response. You mean the days when I was beat? When I was stoned? When I was shipwrecked? When I was taken outside the city and left for dead? Those days? I don't even think about those days. Paul would say, those days mean nothing to me. I've tried those days. That path, that way is empty. That is a futile way to live. And so Paul will say, concerning the things of the flesh, I have given all those things up. They hold no value to me whatsoever. And I wonder, 
I wonder sometimes if, if we forget the horrendous picture, the devastating end, the terrible consequences that come from our sin that Tim talked about. I can't help but think about the Israelites. Not long after their deliverance, they begin to long for the flesh pots of Egypt. And you want to just ask, so when the Lord heard your cry about how great you, how mistreated you were, you really want to go back to those days? Do you really long for those days? Is that what you want to go back to? And I can't help but think about Lot's wife. When Lot and two daughters and Mama Lot are being let out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And she looks back and it's not just that she looks back. It was look a look of longing, a look of desire. Did you forget how there were men that knocked on your door who wanted the strangers in your house so they could abuse them? Did you forget what Sodom was like when you looked back? And as Tim mentioned Demas. Demas, did you forget when you loved this present world what it was you left behind in this present world? And Paul will say to all of that, when I think about that, that is a horrific, horrendous picture. Something that is painful even to think about. I have not forgotten that, and I'm not going back to that again. I'm done with that. I've tried that road. That is a dead end of dead ends. There's nothing good that comes from that. And I wonder sometimes if we don't get too far away from that picture. That we completely forget the picture. So that it dulls our sense of longing that Paul is talking about here. And so Paul will say, what things he said were gain to me, these I have counted, I have counted for loss. The second thing that I want you to see in this is he will say, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul said, there's something I want to know. Now, the power of his resurrection is not the general resurrection. Everybody's going to know that. There's something Paul's reaching for. There's something you're not yet attained. The power, the, the, the general resurrection, everybody's going to be there. Everybody will witness that. Everybody will be part of that. But there's something about the power of this resurrection that has a draw to Paul. In the book of Ephesians, 
in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. After Paul mentions in his first prayer that their eyes would be open and their understanding being great and they might see the hope of the calling, the riches of his inheritance in the saints, he will then say, what is exceeding greatness of his power toward us? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated us at the right hand. And then he will come to verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together. Here's this resurrection he's talking about. Here's a resurrection to a new life. And Paul will say, I want to know the power of that new life. I want to know the power of that resurrection, the power of that new life that leads to transformation. What Paul is saying when he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection is I want to know the power of transformation that comes from having a resurrected life in Christ. That's what he's longing for. He said, I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to have fellowship with Christ. Didn't the Ephesians know that? Had they not been baptized? Yes. But he said, you need to know it even greater. You need to know it even more firmly. You need to be even more convicted about that. And Paul is saying, what I see, when I see the power of his resurrection, I want to know the power of that resurrection in my life. I want to see how that resurrection has transformed me. Baptism is a great beginning. Forgiveness is significant. But all those lead to something else. They lead to a transformed life. And Paul says, there's something in that transformed life that I need, that I want, that I desire. Then he will say, couple with that, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, we find Christ in the flesh suffered for us. But we in the flesh die or having ceased from sin. He suffered for us. We suffer to cease from sin. Now, that may bring a cost with it. That suffering to cease from sin may have some anguish associated with it. Do you remember what the Lord said when he talked about if there's something that we desire so much that separates from the kingdom of God or causes one to stumble, it'd be better that we have our right hand cut off or our eye plucked out. He says that there's something that's so dear and precious to us that would keep us from entering his, his kingdom. He said we need to be done with that. Now, that may not be close to us. The Lord will say it's easier for a rich man to enter the, king, uh, 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 enter the kingdom of heaven than for uh, the camel to go through the eye of a needle. There's a challenge that's there. Why is that important to Paul? Because Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees and Hebrews of Hebrews, and being of the tribe of Benjamin, it was right for him to try to be a strict adherent to the law. And what he says is, I have cut that off. All I want to know is the fellowship of his suffering. 
And when he says, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering, he said, I have tried. I've tried everything. I've tried everything according to the law. I've tried everything according to the flesh. But this is my yearning passion. This is what drives me. This is what compels me. I want to know the power of this transformed life, this new life. And I want to know, I want to share in the suffering with him as I rid myself from sin. I want to be done with that. This is my all-consuming passion. I want to know him. I want to know the power of that transformed life. I wonder for us. Do we have that kind of all-consuming passion for that? I spoke last week with regard to something I think that is a concern. For us is life under the sun. And that our greatest challenge in serving God is malaise or apathy or an indifference. And perhaps this has been our routine for all of our life. Perhaps this is something so familiar to us, it's indeed the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing because the right hand is not paying attention to what the left hand is doing. But Paul said, knowing Christ has not become old to me. It's not become routine to me. Knowing Christ has been my all-consuming passion. And if God has spoken through His Son to know who He is and His peace, that is everything to me. And if He has spoken to His Son, the only way we're going to know anything about ourselves is because God has said it. As the poet said, I open my eyes, I bleed my bones, the marrow to bestow upon that I would know what he would know. We're only going to know what he knows. And Paul said, the thing that drives me is I have this all-consuming passion in all things, in all my life, to please him. That's what the Lord said. I do things always, all things that please him. And Paul said, that's what drives me. Do we have that all-consuming passion to know the power of a resurrected life? And then the third thing I'd like you to see in this is I'd like you to see where he begins then in verse 12. In verses 12 down through verse 15, you have a paradox that's here. Paradox is a figure of speech, I had it described to me years ago, as truth standing on its head to make a point. And so Paul is going to say everything he said, he's going to put it on his head to make a point for us. He said, I've not attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I wonder sometimes if we think that when we begin to talk about grace, we begin to think, you know, well, we've got a little soft here. We've got taken a, a, a soft approach to sin and a, and a soft approach to this world. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 6, when the question was asked, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? The Romans want to play fast and loose with this. If God forgives... 
and grace is part of that forgiveness, then the more we sin, the more God's grace can be applied to us. And Paul said, that is absolutely absurd. God forbid. No. Grace does not mean we play fast and loose with sin. Grace compels us to do all we can because of all He has done to obey and please Him. Grace is as restrictive as anything we would imagine law to be. When we focus on law, we think of things relative to legalism because we think about keeping the law and keeping every word. Legalism, according to Pharisees, was you don't violate any law. And the ultimate part of legalism is if you sin, you die. Grace doesn't enable us to play fast and loose with that. Grace does not enable us to then say, well, I can just do this because God's grace will heal me, will forgive me. No, God's grace is compelling. God's grace is every bit compelling as law is compelling. In fact, maybe more compelling because we see a sacrifice that has been done for us. And because of that, we don't want to do anything to break his heart. He has poured himself out for us. And Paul will say, I want to know something more about that, but I haven't yet attained to that. Grace has enabled me to want to know more. Grace will take you further and faster than you ever imagined. More so than law ever will. Does that negate the importance of law? No, but it emphasizes the power, the compelling power of grace. Grace moves us. Grace moved Paul to want to do all he could to please the Lord. That's not legalism. That is tender devotion. What Paul is saying is there's someone else involved in this. It's kind of like marriage. It's not just me. There's someone else involved. And what I want in this is I want to do all I can to please her. I like the way Solomon's mother said that in Proverbs chapter 31. Otherworthy woman, he said, she said, she does all things always to do him good all the days of his life. And what Lemuel's mother is saying there is, when this godly woman wakes up, that is your wife, the first thought is you. When she pillows her head at night, the last thought is you. The first thought is you. And what Paul is saying is, when I wake up in the morning, the first thought is Christ. And when I pillow my head at night, the last thought is Christ. He is my consuming all. You see, to change affections, there has to be something that is a greater affection than the thing we're leaving behind. We'll not convince somebody to leave their burning house unless we convince them where they're going is greater than what they're leaving. And when people have an attachment to and an affection that is so strong to this world, we have to simply help them see the power of grace that will instill in them an affection that is even greater and a reward that is far higher than anything this world has to offer. We spoke about the hardness of sin a while ago. It's kind of like being single. There may be freedom, but there's no commitment, no certitude, and there's loneliness and agony. And Paul will say, I have traveled that road. 
I am done with that. I am simply going to give myself in tender devotion to him, and I want to know something more about him. Notice how he words this. There's something urgent in what he says. He said, I press on. Look at verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize that we're calling God in Christ Jesus. There's something urgent with Paul. I'm pressing on this. Press is not just kind of casually trotting along. Press is the idea this is something urgent that is there. Paul begins to use the language here in this part of the text that, that has to do with a marathon race. He said, there's something that, that I've not yet attained for which I have been laid hold of. Christ has laid hold of me. He's captured me, but I've not yet been captivated by why he has captured me. And so Paul begins to use the imagery of a marathon. The most arduous event of all Olympic competitions are all track of competitions. You have 26 miles, 385 yards to run. And that first mile not, may not be so hard. In fact, I was talking to someone this last week that they tell me they do. Uh, oh, it's Conrad. That's what it was. We were talking at the wedding. He's, he just trains for 20 miles. I said, what happened to the last six miles? He said, well, you just got that out. <laughs> and so here's the marathon race. He said, you're, you're just running this and you're staying in this, but you're not quitting. The last six miles of the race, when you hit the wall, you don't quit. You keep going. And what you're doing is you're reaching and stretching all you can, giving all you can. Every bit of inner resource is being turned toward that race and not just finishing the race but competing to win the race. You run the race to the mark at the end of the race. And Paul said, that's my mark. What's that mark, Paul? That I might know the power of a transformed life. That I might know what it is to be in His image, to be like Him. And what Paul is saying is what we say. I lost that image. But now the image has been restored and been reconciled. And I don't want to go back to that anymore. I want to stay here and I'm going to run this race. I'm going to do all I can. It's urgent to me. I'm going to reach. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to go forward. There's some things I'm going to leave behind. There's a positive and there's a negative. I'm going to pursue all of this attainment I have not attained to be like him. I'm going to do that, forget everything that's behind. And the negative is I'm going to forget everything that was behind. I looked at all this. I looked at everything I have, all the treasures of life under the sun. And he said, they are nothing to be good but to be thrown on the garbage heap. They're good for nothing. What use are they to me? I just want to be a Christian, he said. I just want to do all I can out of tender devotion to please God. That's all I want. I just want to be like Him. That's my passion. There's something kind of discouraging that comes about this. Sometimes there's a certain, a certain theology that kind of circulates among brethren that thinks, well, this kind of assurance is based upon our absolute remembrance of every sin we've ever committed and specifically repenting of every single sin we've ever committed. Well, it's for sure we ought to have a penitent heart. And for sure we ought to recognize the awareness of where we have failed God. 
But listen, that's futility. That misses the overall part of the growth of an individual's life and the overall attitude a heart a person has toward God in all their life. That misses that penitent, tender heart to do all we can to please the Lord. And to recognize when we have where we have failed and we set that course right. Paul's saying, this, this is not dependent upon me remembering everything that I've ever done wrong. This is dependent upon this course of my life that I have set to pursue God. And in the pursuit of God, where I know I'm wrong, I will correct where I know I'm wrong. And where I'm not, I will have that penitent kind of attitude that will confess those kinds of things to God. I don't know, but please forgive me. I'm not going to change the course of my life. This is the direction I'm walking. I'm reaching toward you. Paul will say in verse 15, Therefore, as many as are mature have this mind in you. If anything think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. He's talking to someone who now has attained an element of, of maturity. Who better is going to know their weaknesses and the failures than the person that is mature? We look at ourselves and we see ourselves reflected in the mirror of God's Word. And we see where we have failed. It takes a mature person to be able to see that. But then it also takes that mature person to have that kind of heart that is going to still yield ourselves in tender devotion, all completeness, all in with the fact I'm going to do all I can to please Him. And in the process, when I fail, as Paul will say, it will break my heart. But I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to keep reaching. I'm going to keep stretching. Paul will say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, I had a desire to be with God, but to remain with you is far better. When you find that person that has a desire to be with God, you don't have to worry about, have you remembered every sin you ever committed? And repented of it and asked for forgiveness. That's the kind of heart you'll still be putting on the altar of God. Because when you look at the overall life of a person and their faith and their love for God. They demonstrate an attitude that will bow before him. And Paul said, in doing that, I haven't given up. I haven't given my passion up. I have kept that. But then verse 16, he will say, Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, never let us walk by the same rule and be of the same mind. Seems to me sometimes we're kind of spiritual hebos, hobos, hebos too. Spiritual hobos, and they're always looking for a more exhilarating experience. And what Paul is trying to get us to see here, there's nothing more exhilarating, there's nothing more adventurous, there's nothing greater we'll ever experience in life than simply to be a Christian. And he says, I just want to be a Christian. Have you ever been in a crowded room and you see someone across the way you haven't seen in a while and you do all you can to get their attention and you wave at them, you do something you can to attract them? What God has done is he has waved in this universe to try to get our attention. He has said, I love you, and he has clothed his son in that love. 
And he has made himself vulnerable by exposing himself to free moral agency of men. And with his son on the cross, he's waving to us to tell us, I love you this much. I love you. Listen to me. Pay attention to me. Come to me. I love you. I want you. We don't need another rule. The rule we have is fine. Walk by that rule. And then listen to the call. And then with all you have, give every passion of your heart, every passion of your being, to being consumed with Him. Simply to be a Christian. Paul said, I haven't yet attained the fullness of what that is. But I'm doing all I can to press toward that mark. And people who press toward the mark receive the prize. Paul is saying there's a process to this. Don't get so transfixed on the prize that we forget the process of transformation to look like him. Because people who awaken his image receive the prize. Again, it's not that baptism is the end all. Forgiveness of sins and having our sins washed away is where we begin. But then we spend the rest of our life, however many years God gives us, with Him transforming us. And He's assured us that work which He hath begun in us, He will bring to completion. Which says we can be as transformed as much as we can here. It's God who works in us, both willing to do according to His good pleasure. We're not doing that. God is. And He'll finish it on the other side. Whatever my failing and lack is, He'll finish it. And I'll be presented holy, spotless, without blemish. Because the Lamb has offered His blood. How about each one of us this morning? How's your passion? How's your all-consuming passion for the Lord? Is there something in our lives that is a little more precious that may need to be cut off or cut out so that we don't miss the power of transforming resurrection in our lives? What a powerful message Paul gives us. I invite you. Catch on. To that all-consuming passion. If there's something we can do this morning that will help you. Be closer with the Lord. Or maybe you need to be baptized for the mission of your sins. Because you have come to the recognition that the path of sin is empty. It's bankrupt. It is Horrific. And you want to be new. And you want to be raised to newness of life and experience the power of a transforming resurrection. Then once you come, while together we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or 
questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.